0: Welcome to another episode of The Power of Perspective, the podcast where we explore the depths of human knowledge and understanding. I'm your host, Stephen Ritchie, and today we have a special episode titled Mythology Explored Captivating Stories and Timeless Wisdom. Joining us is the esteemed expert, George, who will guide us through the fascinating structure, captivating stories, and profound insights that mythology offers. Welcome, George!
1: For the Greeks, the gods were not so much to be admired as they were to be respected as forces of nature as such, uh, the gods were up on olympus and if you did not pay them the proper dues you would regret it while the norse had a similar view towards their gods in that uh, they were powerful and forces of nature and not to be taken lightly but they also felt their gods were more present people were born from women whose husbands were away and If the uh, priest agreed, yes, this child was the son of Odin, who happened to be visiting at the time, it would be celebrated. While the Greeks, on the other hand, you have many, many stories of Zeus just Picking a random woman he happens to find pretty and knocking her up.
0: Yeah, the mythology has quite adult themes in itself, right? Oh, yes, most certainly. <laughs> and so, the general um, structure and purpose of mythology, what does that sort of look like? These
1: days they are viewed mostly as stories, but at the time they were seen as if not facts, then. Uh, as we say in movies, based on true events. For the people at the time, the gods were real and active and had an actual influence on their lives and these stories gave them a frame of reference and context to try and make sense of why strange and inexplicable things
0: would happen in their lives. Yes. And do you notice sort of um, common themes and motifs um, in uh, mythology? The most. Common theme
1: you would find, particularly in the Greeks, when it came to their heroes and such, uh, the term for it is the monomyth, where your hero would be mostly a nobody or not all that important or just a regular human. And then, whether by catastrophe or a god showing up or prophecy, they would be called to adventure and they would go off often meeting friends and compatriots along the way. Uh, until eventually after much preparation and trials face a great climax or battle or uh, tribulation after which, uh, as they say, they lived happily ever after even if it involves taking a battle from a boat and walking inland in distance.
0: Yeah, the typical Disney outro, right? Yes, basically. <laughs> Although, being the Greeks at the time, it was rather more uh, R-rated than pg two. Ah, uh, yes, yes. And um, so, which uh, mythologies uh, uh, maybe most grasp your interest and... What sort of ones are out there? The mythologies I find
1: most interesting are mostly the Norse and the Greeks. Uh, to a lesser degree, I still find the Egyptian stories fascinating. And uh, lately, I've been trying to read and learn more about the Asian mythologies and also the American and African Native mythologies and their stories, although the latter two are surprisingly difficult to come across at times. Yes.
0: Not as well broadcast in the world, and maybe more passed from family to family. A
1: large part of the African and uh, to a lesser extent in these modern times Native American uh, or as they called First Nation, how can I say not systems, uh, societies, uh is that they still very much try to rely on the oral history, which is something that's us Europeans used to do as well. That is why there's no such thing as a canonical mythological story. Uh, It would change from one village to the next just a kilometer away and uh, the change wildly between different city states uh, as the case. And uh, while we have gone over to writing things down and generally trying to be more academic about things, uh, we do not have the same uh, feeling behind the stories anymore. They are now just tales recorded from long ago. They aren't a part of us anymore so much as they are for those who still listen and tell
0: the tales of their profile. Yes. And so let's go into some of the So, you know, a well-known one is sort of the Greek mythology and maybe just give an overview of what it's about and its significance. In the world and to the people at the time? Well,
1: as uh, Andrew W.K. said, the point of science was to understand the world by looking from the outside in, whereas religion had the point of trying to understand the world from the inside out. And that was basically what the Greeks of the time did. If you saw flashes of lightning in the air, what they were, so someone got the bright idea that must be Zeus. He's flinging lightning bolts as spears. We know how to throw spears it's about uh, javelins are a thing we do so clearly that must be a god throwing lightning spears that do great damage or along the north to take a similar example, if you hear thunder rumbling, that's Thor being very angry and slamming his hum- hammer on the ground and from there it grew from just a way of trying to make sense of what you're seeing that seems impossible to uh, it grow more structure and become a way of, well, maybe if I do this so for example, give this basket of olives to that priest up at the temple, then maybe my olive grove won't burn down from a lightning strike because Zeus isn't angry with. Or if I make sure to give a part of my catch to the temple of Poseidon, then a storm won't knock me off my boat or I'll have good catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this has been observed, interestingly enough, even amongst animals. Scientists made a completely randomised button where sometimes if it was pressed it would release seeds and other times not. They observed that pigeons pressing this button start displaying superstitious behaviour. Some pigeons thinking if they move in this way before they press the button, they'll get seeds. And I think that is something that's part of all of us. We want to understand and
0: if we can't figure it out logically we will find a way to make it yes indeed and so they've maybe broken down these different senses of unknowing and areas of the unknown into to gods right and you know as opposed to some religions where there's a, a central god that sort of rules over and it's just this idea of a, a creative sort of force um, that everything can be explained through they've sort of broken down the various aspects of the unknown um, into these entities and so they're just uh, some of the prominent ones to, to go through in the Greek.
1: Well, the most prominent Greek god of course would be Zeus, he's the king of the gods. Uh, he was the one who led the resistance or the uprising against the titans. Uh, the titans were the ones that they were before the gods who created everything and then time himself ate all the gods that came out of earth because he knew that at knowing time eventually they would be overthrown and despite his best attempts, his uh, Gaia, the Earth, hit Zeus, and he broke out his brothers Hades and Poseidon. Hades is the god of the underworld, and Poseidon was the god of the sea. And they attacked the Titans, and they freed their uh, younger siblings from Bronus' belly. They broke them out, and all of them Uh, defeated the titans, locked them up in the in a special part of the underworld and of course at that time they didn't have specific roles according to the story. It was then after that that they decided each of us will have a domain and Zeus said he would be the king of the gods, he rules on Olympus, the skies are his, he throws lightning bolts. His brother Poseidon got the seas and the storms and the rivers while their brother Hades got uh, the realms of the dead and the world underneath the ground, not just the realms of the dead but also caves and mines all things that came out of the ground such as minerals and gems and so was said to be from his troth and uh, next to them of course he would have the goddess of the home hera the wife of zeus who was permanently angry at him for whichever mortal woman he had to be happened to be hooking up with at the time yeah. you had athena the goddess of wisdom sprung forth from zeus's forehead you had Aphrodite, the goddess of love and lust, sprang forth from another part of him. <laughs> a lot of people are springing off from parts of Zeus, right? <laughs> well, that's the problem with the gods. They're so powerful. How can you explain where they come from? Uh, they had to come from somewhere, so they looked up and they see there's the sky, that's Uranus, and we're standing on the earth, that's Gaia. And, well, yesterday is not today. Time is a thing, so there's Kronos, it's time and from them must come more specific things. You're in the sky, you have thunder, you have storms, you have winds. Uh, Over there is the sea. Clearly something must make the waves move and the storms come out. And something must rule over all those fishes like our kings rule over us. And uh, what happens when people die? They have to go somewhere. There must be some sort of underworld because we wind up burying them. Otherwise they stink. And uh, from there things grow. Uh, We think we have wise people. Clearly there must be a god or goddess in charge of wisdom. That was Athena. People are aggressive, warlike things. That's why you had Ares. Contrary to what a lot of people think was not the god of warfare but the god of fighting and war itself and uh, if you read the mythologies he's a bit of a prick (laughs) uh, and people fall in love you need a god for that or a goddess as the case may be Uh, seasons change there was a reason for that they didn't know the reason so clearly it must be Demeter and missing her daughter uh, Persephone. and from there the stories grew as they discovered new things and tried to make sense of it
0: the only favorite
1: god from them is uh, not just because of the video game named after him. As far as Greek gods and goddesses go, he is, in my opinion, the least scummy in most cases.
0: Which is quite different to maybe common perceptions,
1: right? Yes, lots of people think Hades is the god of the dead. He must be an evil god, but the fact is, he is actually just the ruler of the lands of the dead. Uh, he does not kill people. Uh, that is the god, uh, the job of Thanatos. Uh, he does not bring people to the underworld. That's the joint job of Hermes, who's also the messenger of the god, and uh, Charon, who ferries them down the river Styx. His job is just to look, watch over all the various areas uh, like Asphodel and Tartarus and Elysium to make sure that all the dead are in the area they're supposed to be. You don't want some great warrior hero who should be in Elysium winding up in Tartarus where he doesn't belong. That's where the people go to get punished. And uh, he also had a surprisingly good relationship with his wife Persephone. Despite the fact that she was kidnapped and given to him because he was all on his own, uh, unlike any of the other gods, there are no demigods who are the son of Hades, an immortal woman. Uh, There are heaps of stories of people like Hercules, who's the son of Zeus, or Perseus, who was the son of Poseidon and the mortal woman. But Hades stayed faithful.
0: And any uh, least favorite god?
1: Ares, without a doubt, Ares. Uh, the best way to sum of his personality is in, uh, that I found was in the Iliad in the st- specifically the story of the Trojan War where he, uh, Ares decided this is a nice grand old war he should fight in it and he wound up fighting and killing a great many men and then the great hero Hector managed to not only defeat him but actually horribly wound him. Um, the Greeks being the Greeks of the time uh, go into graphic detail of exactly the damage that Hector's spear did to Ares. Instead of just taking his defeat with grace and praising this great warrior as others would have done, Ares went to Zeus and demanded that everyone there be punished equally because how dare
0: they hurt him. Yeah. And um, so in terms of the stories themselves that have passed, do you have a one you consider the most enjoyable and, you know, entertainment with uh, maybe some captivating characters and exciting
1: adventures? The best story out of Greek myth would have to be, uh, it was written down in the Iliad and uh, it is a thoroughly enjoyable story. It's got heaps of characters, adventures. Everyone from Achilles at first doesn't want to be in this war and then his friend and according to some sources lover, Patrocles puts on Achilles' armor so that it looks like he's fighting for the Greeks and then gets killed. So in his rage, Achilles joins the fighting and helps win the war, only taken down by an arrow to his heel, which is where we get the phrase Achilles' heel. And uh, there's the great Homer uh, who's wrote all these stories, for example, about the Odyssey, of how Odysseus and his crewmen uh, left for home from the Trojan War. And the adventures they had along the way, which is turning men into pigs, giant creatures in the sea. And uh, you had great kings and horrible kings and interesting generals and poor generals. And uh, the Iliad basically has it all, including gods and goddesses getting involved on both sides. With Aphrodite and Athena uh, at the loggerheads the, uh, regarding certain heroes and... Of course, certain gods and goddesses wanting to protect Troy, while the others promised to help Spartan King Menelaus to get his wife back, and in general it's a very lively story that could make for a whole, weeks of, a whole series of stories on the TV, if you wanted to record them all.
0: Yeah, I a Marvel Universe <laughs> version of, you know, Greek mythology. Part of the sort of mythologies um, often, and you can see this in plays, have a lesson So maybe maybe kind of comment on the idea of like these stories having sort of life lessons or some kind of reflective insight that comes through them.
1: While many of the stories of the Greeks meant to be lessons were actually included fables uh, for most notably those by Esau, there were occasionally moral tales among the myths and legends. For example, the tale of Icarus and Daedalus, who the king of the island, island had a beautiful wife and he bragged to all that his wife was the most beautiful woman there was even among the goddesses and of course you never brag about how beautiful your wife is compared to goddesses because as punishment she was made to fall in love with this prized bull and gave birth to the minotaur, half man half bull and this beast had to be hidden somewhere. so. He hired Daedalus, a famed architect and engineer, to build this giant labyrinth underneath his castle where the Minotaur could live and then they would send prisoners down to feed him. And of course, they did not want anyone to know why there was a labyrinth or how to get out of the labyrinth. So they hid Daedalus and his son Icarus down. And Daedalus and Icarus managed to hide from the Minotaur by capturing seagulls and other birds. They made wings from wax, Daedalus made wings from wax, and they used them to fly away. And despite his father's warnings, Icarus flew too high, and the heat from the sun melted his wings, and he fell to his death into the ocean.
0: Any other stories that maybe also emphasize moral or ethical teachings? Moral stories, it's a
1: difficult one. As I mentioned, the tale of Icarus is a good one, but also perhaps. The tale of Medusa, as horrible as we um, is also, on the other hand, a cautious tale of vanity and uh, not taking your own appearance far. Uh, the best example of that, of course, would be where also the story of where we got echoes from of the mortal Narcissus who was who thought himself to be more beautiful than any other person or god alive. And so much so that he fell in love with himself. And he was cursed so that no matter what anyone else did, he would only want to look at himself. And he started disappearing. And a woman was in love with him. And felt she could generally make him happy. And he just ignored her. And she tried and tried again and again. And eventually she just faded away into nothingness. And became echoes And every time uh, Narcissus would ask Who's there All she could answer Was who's there
0: yeah. And you, you mentioned Medusa Like quickly Tell the story and Some may know The thing about Medusa Is there are Different
1: versions Of the story Depending on the source uh, And also depending On where those sources Came from uh, For example In one area Medusa was A uh, A priestess Of uh, Aphrodite Or Hera Or Athena I forget which one But she was the priestess Of a goddess who was punished by being turned into this hideous uh, for bringing a man into the temple when uh, she was supposed to be a virgin priestess. But in another area, it was actually the god uh, Poseidon himself came into the temple because Medusa really was a beautiful woman and he basically just raped her right there in the temple of another goddess. And to make it even more unfair, because she was supposed to be a priestess, She was punished by turning her into a hideous woman with snakes for hair and anyone who saw her would be turned into stone. And then a Greek hero much later, I believe it was Perseus, he had to go and fight her and then he tricked the fates to telling him how to beat her they promised him an answer and he needed more than one. So, because they only have one eye to share between them, he stole the eye and made them tell him how to defeat the dreaded Gorgon Medusa and uh, get out alive. So they told him polish your shield like a mirror. So snuck in and came upon Medusa, and when she tried to turn him to stone, he held up his shield and her own visage. Uh, stunned her, although luckily he didn't turn into stone. And then he cut off the poor woman's head and put it in a bag. And then when he came back to the king who sent him to his death, he pulled out the head of Medusa out of a bag and held her up uh, to face the king and into stone so that he became king and afterwards that i'm not sure how it happens but uh, i've seen in all depictions of athena it is shown that perhaps to show the wisdom of tricking a beast with dangerous eyes with a mirror she has a shield with the gorgon's head.
0: so you've mentioned the the fates from my understanding they sort of maybe represent the equivalent of ideas like destiny and luck And maybe the natural purpose that comes through in reality. And so maybe just give us an idea of what the fates were in their role in the Greek sort of mythology. The fates, depending
1: on which area you were and which source you follow, were three women who determined the life and times of humanity. One of them would spin a thread that was a man's life and another of them would then weave it into the tapestry of the world. to So how they would live, where, they, what would happen in their time, how they fit into the world. And then the final one determine when his time was over and then she would use a special pair of shears to slip the thread and end his life. And at that point, uh, Thanatos took over, ended his life and Hermes and Karim took him over to the underworld.
0: So, the Greeks are sometimes known to also have some very grim and gritty stories. I believe you have one of them you'd like to share with us. Tell us about it. The one that comes to mind
1: is the story of Tantalus, who is interesting in that today we still use the word tantalizing to describe the punishment he got. Uh, What boils down to was uh, Tantalus did not believe that the gods were nearly as omniscient and knowing as they thought, and so decided that he would invite all the gods to dinner at his palace. And uh, as a treat for them and also a test, he decided that he would kill one of his children and make a stew out of them and see which of the gods would eat it. And uh, one by one, the gods came to the dinner table and refused to eat the food, except for Hephaestus, the god of forging, who didn't know any better, and so ate the stew. And then, of course, he was shocked and disgusted when he found out what was in the food that was given to him. So Tantalus was punished by being sent to a very special part in the Greek underworld, where he was standing being in a pool of water with a tree growing above him, and uh, above his head would grow a fruit. And it was both enchanted, so that if he got hungry and he tried to reach up, the fruit would pull away. And if he bent down to drink the water, it would dry up, uh, eternally tantalizing him as the, uh, it would be uh, with thirst and hunger without ever actually sating it. A similar situation would be that of Sisyphus who also angered the gods by trying to test them and so uh, as punishment they gave him tasks to perform. At first glance it seems very simple. He had to roll the boulder up a hill and he had to carry a bucket of water to fill a font at the top. Of course these are god's punishments so Every time he would roll the boulder halfway up the hill, he would slip and the boulder would roll back to the bottom. And the bucket they gave him to fill the fount at the top with had holes in the bottom so that no matter how he tried, he could never fill it with water.
0: There's these various creatures in the, the myths. Any iconic or favorite creatures you can tell us about in the mythology?
1: The most interesting creature I feel is this cyclops, which was said to be a giant man with only a single eye. And uh, it He's also mentioned in the Odyssey where he has a flock of sheep and these sailors wind up on his island and without thinking they slaughter sheep to uh, to eat and he's very angry with them because it's his sheep. So he captures them because he figures, well, if they ate my sheep, I'll eat them. And uh, he keeps them in a pen and what they do was when he came to look in in on them, uh, they threw a spear to blind him because he only has one eye and then instead of letting uh, him catch them, they slaughtered some more sheep and tied the pelts around themselves. So being blind, he would feel inside the pen for his sheep and then he'd find something woolly and go and put it out in the field to graze. And that's how they got out again to escape. But the interesting thing about the Cyclops is there's a very sensible reason why they thought once upon a time there must have been a giant person with a single eyeball. Because if you ever look at an elephant's skull, it looks, if you don't know where an elephant's eyes go, like that of a giant humanoid with one single eye in the middle, where the trunk actually goes, because the holes in the sides where the eyes go could very easily be mistaken for the hinges of a jaw. Yeah,
0: amazing how a single events can sort of create such powerful aspects in this sort of mythologies right
1: well it draws through on the north side as well uh, there are many tales of great worms and dragons being slain and all you would need was one viking digging up the skull of a uh, fossilized skull of a beast from long ago and then taking it home and say look i found a dead dragon and that must be what it was because what else would be that large with
0: teeth like that no, that's really cool and there's also the the titans which are quite a- element and foe to the gods. Tell us about
1: them. The Titans were not so much gods as they were forces of nature. As I mentioned earlier, you had Uranus who was the sky, Gaia was the Earth, uh, Kronos was Time, and various others. They were considered to be primordial entities from whom everything else sprung uh, as the Earth and the sky met forth came various gods and goddesses and time knowing what was going to happen in time was afraid of them so he ate them up and of course in doing so caused what he saw to happen to happen because he he just saw what was going to happen in time that was his thing and uh, those were just basically the greek version of creation myths or origin myths because we're standing on this great big piece of earth. Where did it come from? What is it? Uh, was it always here? Does it have a name? This must be Gaia. And what's above it? It looks like a shield. Uh, it is often mistaken that Greeks could not see blue because they, they often wrote that uh, the sky was the color of bronze. But the fact of the matter is if Polish bronze and then let it tarnished somewhat it turns blue and uh, so they thought that sky must be a great plate and the sun and the moon must be moved somehow they cannot move on their own so the sun was pulled in fr- by behind the chariot of the great god Apollo and the moon had, uh, was the domain of the goddess Nyx who also go- governs magic uh, on certain islands and uh, as such you had stories that grew out of each other starting with What are we standing on? Where did it come from? And what is that thing? And okay, but if these things are this, what then
0: does that? Yeah. I mean, in in the modern world, we sort of discovered that the earth moves on place. So, you know, they had the sky moving, but in reality, we have the earth moving. So (laughs) you can see where the sort of logic can be sort of pulled together. Well, they're not the
1: only ones. Even in the Hebrew stories in the Old Testament, it is written that one of the heroes fight the enemy and the day was not long enough so one of the prophets uh, asked that the sun stay in place until the battle was won and it happened because they believed that the sun could be held in place. They thought the sun moved, that moved and not
0: the earth. Well, if that happened to happen in, in uh, the real world <laughs> we, we wouldn't survive so well would we? <laughs> oh, I don't know. If the sun if we stopped well, if moving. Well, we I suppose it's the other way, right? If we stopped moving. <laughs> if we stopped
1: moving depending on how gradual it was it would either be fine or we would all very quickly turn into
0: interior decorations. There's a lot of sort of bizarre um, elements amongst the adults elements of greek mythology you know that don't necessarily appear in like a hercules movie or something and maybe you have a, a good sort of story that that highlights some of these with some you know unexpected twists and turns that go beyond the typical stories we hear
1: well as i say there was the story of medusa who may or may not have been read depending on which story you follow uh, there is of course the many demigods who sprang from zeus who seduced women in some of the most unusual ways in those stories, I to this day do not quite understand how a woman can be seduced by some very handsome looking swan, but <laughs> apparently it happens. And uh, in another case, Zeus again uh, created offspring with a woman because he just thought she was hot. So he turned into her husband and slept with her. And then when the husband actually came back from the war the next day, the woman was shot. And the husband, of course, knew, her well, she was tricked. So he uh, was very angry, of course, and he wanted the child killed. And then they found out, no, but she has twins. And according to some of the stories of the time, they believed that the twins were because the one son was his and the other son was that of Zeus. So the first boy that was born, they put into a box and flew away into the ocean while the other boy was raised to be a prince fortunately for the boy in the story the first one he was saved he didn't drown and uh, he was raised in obscurity and went on to have adventures of his own but uh, the beginning of course of all was just Zeus just could not keep it in his pants.
0: So, the the gods also participated in some big battles and wars. Maybe tell us of like one of those and you know what caused it, what caused turmoil amongst the gods, right? They weren't always best frenzies, were they? The
1: good example of that is the hero you mentioned, Hercules, uh, or Heracles as they called him, because he was named after Hera. Uh, Hera was very upset about the fact that he existed in the first place because once again it was her husband Zeus who made with a mortal woman, and she wanted to curse uh, Hercules to be immortal and to die and it did not quite take um, there was some pity for him because he was innocent he was just a little baby at the time so he had some spark of divinity left in him and then he performed his 12 labors to become one of the gods himself but uh, as to gods taking part in epic battles as i mentioned earlier Ares took part in one of the battles of the trojan war uh, where he just went on because it was Ares. He likes fighting, that's his thing. Uh, there's a uh, less warlike aspect, but there is a tale of a famous Greek hunter who was turned into a stag because he hunted in the fields uh, protected by Artemis. And the virgin goddess of the hunt and wildlife uh, felt he was too full of himself, much like many modern trophy hunters. He was not hunting to feed his family or to uh, color a herd or kill a dangerous animal he was just showing off that he can hunt anything. So she set him up to chase after a glowing stag and then uh, when he slept, she turned him into one as well.
0: The, the world itself of mythology Are there like prominent locations and sort of even iconic ones? Well, the main thing of
1: course, is that the Greeks believed that the gods lived on Olympus and Olympus is an actual mountain slash hill in Greece. You can go to Olympus. There's nothing there of course, but it was an actual place. Um, If you go more in the direction of the Middle East, your Hebrew and Israelites and modern Christianity, of course, often have tales of Armageddon, and uh, that is a transliteration of an actual phrase saying war at Megiddo. Megiddo is a place. Um, specifically the plains of Megiddo the plains underneath the mountain of Megiddo where the final battle of the world is supposed to happen. And, uh, same for many other places uh, the Scandinavians and the Norse for example, they see something like a large square valley and uh, it makes no sense where they're from all valleys are sharp and angular so if it's this square it must have been made like that so clearly this is
0: where Thor put his hammer down Yeah, we, we don't generally have uh, such shapes as squares in nature. Do we, right? <laughs> no, very few actually. Yeah, so it is quite striking. Do you have uh, maybe a final Greek sort of uh, tale to share with us? Just anything that pops to mind that you'd love to tell the audience?
1: There's one I came across long ago it was a war between the gods and uh, the giants, uh, specifically the Hecacontaires or giants with a hundred arms. And uh, the satyrs were called up because they belong, uh, serve under Dionysus. And they had to fight along. And being Satyrs, they're not warriors, they're partiers. That's what they do. So they figured, well, we're going to die tomorrow, so tonight we're going to have one last big bash. So they got out their wineskins and they got out their roasts and started a spit. And uh, they danced long, late into the night, banging on giant drums and having fun. And the uh, giants, the is hearing these drums banging late into the night, thought to themselves, these guys have to fight us tomorrow, and tonight they're getting drunk and having a bash. Clearly, they're so certain they'll win, they're willing to fight us with a hangover. We're not going to win this. So the next morning, the satyrs showed up to the battlefield, and there were no giants to fight, they'd run away in the night. Yeah,
0: cool. And so transitioning from the sort of Greek mythology to the Norse, I'd like to open this up with what are the, the key similarities first, and then we can go into differences, of these two, before we go into the more details of it, just like an overview. Well,
1: like the Greeks, the Norse were also polytheistic. Uh, they were the gods ruled over various aspects or embodied various aspects. And uh, they also, like basically every generalized story in history history. uh, They favored the monomyth of the hero who's called to action, faces various trials, has a great climatic battle or tribulation, and then generally it goes well for him or it goes well for the people or for if he happens to die. And uh, the differences from there come, of course, the Norse view there Gods a bit different still with reverence and fear, but less abject terror I might say um, they had more amusing stories at time about some of their gods while the Greeks wouldn't dare um, they were not afraid to poke fun of supernatural elements if they felt like it and in general I feel they were slightly more laid back about, it, even though they did take their worship aspects just as serious. yeah
0: so let's introduce sort of North mythology and its its cultural background like, you know what, what is it oh, where, where did it come to be the origins I'm not as
1: familiar with but I do know that they believed that there were nine worlds or realms um, of which the earth was in the middle uh, of the, it was a giant tree called Yggdras and in the middle you had Midgard, which is lived, and then you had different realms where different creatures lived like Svartalfheim where the black Owl- elves lived or Jotunheim where the ice giants lived and then at the very top you had Vanaheim where the Vanir or the gods lived. And um, of course, interestingly, not all the gods were of the same type. Um, for example, Lok is not the same type as Freya would be. They're from different uh, lineages. And then if you go further down at the very bottom, you would have Helheim, uh, which is where the dead go. Although, interestingly enough, both the Norse and the Greeks uh, are similar in that they differ from the modern European uh, beliefs and the Middle Eastern beliefs that, uh, for them, the underworld was not necessarily a horrible or scary place. Uh, some of it was quite nice uh, because different people go, went to different places, they felt. Uh, if you died in combat uh, for the Norse, you wouldn't go to the Underworld, you would go to Valhalla uh, where you would party for most of eternity with the gods in a uh, uh, Great Mead Hall until the very last battle where you and the other they were called would have to fight against the giants and many supernatural things who would wind up destroying the earth whereas other people if you were a coward or a criminal you would go to a certain area in Helheim that was very horrible where you would be punished but if you were just a common Joe Schmo farmer who would much of anything there was a completely different area in Helheim where you go and spend your eternity there
0: yeah Bahala this was essentially the ambition. Of great warriors, and maybe even an incentive for to build great armies was to get them there.
1: As I understand it, they did not so much build great armies until much later. Uh, Valhalla was more seen as if you fought well, you're a hero, you deserve a special prize. And also, the people who tended to be the ones who fought well and went on raids and wars and such. They were also the ones who, when they were home, did not do much uh, necessarily building or farming or such. They generally preferred sitting in meat halls and such when they're not off on adventures. Not all of them, of course, but so they figured, well, in that case, you're this great warrior. If you die, you can go there. You'll have one last big bash, and then when it's time for the final battle, you can put those big arms of yours to use, fighting off the bad guys one last time.
0: So you're in know, a Greek I'm not sure if there's other sort of big uh, groups that believe in it, but it'd be interesting to hear who believed in that, and then which sort of groups, slash populations, did the the North mythology sort of appear as their belief? Uh, the
1: Greeks. And, uh, well, the Greeks and the Romans had the same gods, basically, although the Romans and changed all the names and then changed half the stories. Uh, Sounds like a copyright infringement, eh? (laughs) Basically, yes. Uh, There's an amusing reference to that in a story I read once where the gods are real and uh, someone remarks that all the poor Greco-Roman gods have massive identity crises because they just don't know who they are, what their name is. But uh, the Norse mythology, uh, I call it Norse because that's how most people know it, but it's more widespread geographically Set of religions because it was held by your Scandinavians, the Norse, the Swedes, the Danes, and such, uh, but also by your Germanic tribes, uh, which includes uh, both the Germans, Austrians, Prussians, and the Dutch and the Belgians to a lesser degree, depending on the tribes
0: and one of the big ones that believed in the norse sort of mythology was the vikings right vikings
1: the interesting thing about vikings is the word viking does not mean a specific viking was literally something you did if you're a viking it's the same as saying you're a pirate Uh, there was no nation of pirates no just like there was no nation of vikings what it basically happened was Uh, Scandinavia is generally in most parts very uh, often very inaccessible definitely very harsh in terms of weather so many times uh, the farms and homesteads there just could not provide all they needed to survive so when it came a certain time of year the harvest was in, uh, carving was done, shearing was done with uh, able. they had time on their hands and not enough resources so they went a Viking, meaning they went off raiding. Uh, they would get on their boats, they would sail down the coast, uh, they would go to England, France, they often up the great Volga River to fight against the Russians. Basically, show up oh, here's a village, everything that isn't nailed down gets back into the boats. Uh, and we carry it back home, and we've got enough uh, supplies for the winter. And uh, if we can't eat it, we can sell
0: it uh, to buy food. Yeah. Would you say these, these cultures and uh, groups that believed in these mythologies were more war-focused or prone to war? I would not say so. I think the view that they were warlike or
1: aggressive is largely side effect of most of the stories that remain and the ones that are popular, because in general, mankind, in my experience, is rather warlike in one way or another, whether we do it in politics or uh, the way we treat people or in actual fight. And uh, as such, many of the stories that are more aggressive or violent tend to resonate more with us, so they're the ones that we tend to put in our books and shows and such. So, I don't believe that they were more warlike, but I do believe that uh, by sheer genetics, they were the better. Uh, that is not to say that Vikings were indestructible forces of nature. Uh, the fact of the matter is most of them had maybe a spear or a plain woodsman's axe and a shield because the shield was easy to make. And then if they came up against a village with an armed militia that was trained to resist, they just got back on their boats and went on down the river and avoided them. They didn't need to fight pitched battles, but they were generally rather large and physically imposing. And as such, much, much later, After they started converting to Christianity, they had a group called the Varangian Guard, where Scandinavians, uh, Norse and Swedes and such, who were hired as bodyguards for the Roman church. And uh, they protected many uh, areas in the Mediterranean from outside attackers, um, just because they were good at what they did.
0: So it'll be interesting to tap on Sparta, you know, after the 300 movie, they sort of highlighted this kind of badass group of people that were bred for war. Um, But maybe from a more academic and realistic sort of non-Hollywood style, you can sort of give us a bit of feel for Spartans.
1: Well, the the most important thing about the Spartans is... If you showed Spartans of that time the movie 300, to a man, each and every one of them would swear on his beloved mother that that's exactly how it happened. (laughs) Uh, The the thing about that movie that Alan Moore did surprisingly well is that is how uh, Greeks in general, and particularly the Spartans, wanted to tell their stories. They wanted to embellish how noble their warriors were, how evil and uh, disgusting the enemies were. In real life, the situation in that movie was a lot more complex. Um, Everyone focuses on the fact that there were only 300 Spartans and completely glosses over the fact that there were 3,000 thespians and a whole bunch of other Greek soldiers fighting alongside them and it was just by treachery that they happened to be caught and a bit of luck on their Persian side that they also had extremely well-trained soldiers, uh, well, some of them at least. Yeah. But as for the Spartans, um, I've actually made an effort to read some of the more academic papers and such. Um, there was a lady, I remember her name is Helena, she wrote a very interesting article on it. She's a, indeed a historian, where they were generally the only nation of the time with a professional army. There was no such thing in the world at the time outside of Sparta. Uh, the idea itself only became popular much later Romans. And even there, it was only slightly implemented. Most of those soldier, the legionaries did eventually go home afterwards back to their farms. But uh, the Spartans believed they would shoot soldiers first and foremost. So they practiced physical exercise, they made sure their women practiced physical exercise well, while other Greek city-states kept their women mostly subjugated. Uh, Sparta is well known for the fact that a woman could inherit, she could own property, while in say Athens it was the opposite, a woman could not inherit, there was property. Um, It is actually an obscure thing I read where one of the Athenian uh, scholars and uh, philosophers said that one of the problems with Sparta is that they're not gay enough they give their women too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is interestingly enough, uh, many of the, almost all of the lines that you hear in the movie 300 and that are quotes by the Spartans are actual quotes from history including the one where they refer to Athenians as uh, catamites to put it like. Yeah. And uh, there's an interesting term where the Spartan woman obviously also uh, believed that their sons would be strong. So when one boy ran away from the Agoge, he wanted to go back home. He did not like being beaten for not succeeding in his studies. And his mother laughed and told him, well, why are you so weak? What you want to climb back between my legs as well? And then she had a slave whip him and sent him back to the Agoge to go back to his studies. Uh, the great Persian king sent a message to the Spartans saying, if I enter your country, I will salt the earth and leave your women widows. So they sent back a single reply, if, and he did not hit the Sparta.
0: Yeah, try us. Yeah. (laughs) Rating in on the sort of um, Norse um, various gods, can you sort of just tell us some of the key ones and their roles?
1: Well, the well, most well-known one of course is Thor thanks to our friends at Marvel yes. uh, well-known man although not blonde as I understand it in the original stories he has red hair and uh, slightly less muscular but a lot stronger uh, there was a big uproar recently with the God of War series of uh, video games that depicted Thor as heavy muscular but also very fat and a lot of people complained about the fact that they made him look like that but if you go and look at professional powerlifters that what they look like they have strong incredibly strong muscles but they're not ripped they don't look like Chris Hemsworth with his shirt off Uh, and then of course next to that there's Loki who uh, is also very popular these days an interesting character, he is not a bad guy in all the stories, he's just, he's a trickster, that's his nature. And then of course you have Odin, the father of the gods, or as he calls himself that, and you have Freyr and Freya and Sif and uh, Balder and Heimdall, which is, who's also in the uh, Marvel movies and uh, all of them have less defined roles and aspects such as in the Greek stories, but they all have uh, personalities and areas of their own.
0: Yeah. And so you mentioned Thor and Loki, you know, there's a, a dynamic, you know, and um, they, they you know, went on adventures together, but tell us about them as almost a, as a relationship and you know, what they got up to, what were they like with each other? Thor and Loki in the stories I've read
1: and heard, they were raised as brothers, And acted as such Uh, As you said They went on adventures Everywhere They took part In pranks On each other Um, They helped each other Out of a tight spot Even if they Sometimes the one Who got them Into that spot uh, From Thor Dressing up as a woman And marrying a giant So he can get his hammer Back to Loki Turning into a fly To make the hammer Male shaped In the first place And uh, in general They basically Got along as brothers Sometimes they got along Sometimes they fought Sometimes they did Horrible things To each other and other times they made it up
0: again. No, and any kind of modal enemies amongst the, the Norse gods? The biggest ones of course would be the giants
1: the Jotun the frost giants and they are the main enemies of the gods and of humans as well. They are the gods intend to fight at Ragnarok amongst other things and then of course there's Jormungandr, a different kind of giant, but more spe- uh, special he was the uh, one who was going to destroy Valhalla eventually, and uh, he's also mentioned in one of the Marvel movies. Some other enemies include humans occasionally, although we don't fare very well, and then just various interesting characters that they come across in their travels.
0: And you mentioned Ragnarok. T- tell us about that. That actually a, like the key, uh, big key element in Norse mythology.
1: So as as I understand it because the, again with all myths there are conflicting stories sometimes but the way I understand it at the end of times uh, Fenrir one of Loki's uh, children and the giant wolf who in the moon they uh, eat the moon uh, the story of him eating the moon is also how they explain the phases and eclipses and such and he would swallow the sun as well um, an eclipse and then he would start the fimbulvetr, Fetter the last winter and because it gets cold in the last winter of having sun uh the frost giants would invade Midgard and start uh, fighting all over the world. nine realms. And Odin would lead the other gods and the Einherjar, the mortal heroes from Valhalla, against the frost giants to fight them off. And as uh, so, uh, like I mentioned, that one giant is to destroy Valhalla in some stories at least. Uh, Loki's children are from Helheim at the time uh, when they uh, where they would join various sides. Um, Loki himself would. Uh, get unshackled because he is in some stories punished by being chained in uh, Helan where in others uh, in earlier times he was just one of the gods and uh, I'm not actually sure how it's supposed to end I know that it's supposed to end with the destruction of the gods but whether or not the world survives I'm not
0: sure and so you know um, Loki himself any sort of famous uh, tricks or just something sort of entertaining as a trickster that he did
1: the first one that comes to mind is the fact that Loki is the reason why Mjolnir Thor's hammer is meant to be thrown and not Warhammer as we know them in general uh, the story goes that A Dwarf uh, was slated to create the weaponry and equipment and uh, he said he would make them without peer. So first he made Thor's uh, chariot and Loki turned into a fly and buzzed around him but he just ignored it uh, because Loki bet that he could make this uh, famous Dwarf craftsman fail and this dwarf had never failed to make anything and uh, then he set out to make uh, Thor's gloves and his uh, belt which were what gave him his superhuman strength. He had the strength for some stories 10 men to others just playing supernaturally, incredibly strong and uh, instead Loki turned in a horsefly and he started biting the dwarf to distract him from making these tools but the dwarf just Gripped his teeth and he finished the task and then at last started making Mjolnir Thor's hammer and uh, the materials when the fire heating up to be forged and at last uh, loaded a yellow jacket or a wasp or some sort of a similar stinging animal and he actually stung the dwarf on his hand as he was working the forge and despite trying his best the pain eventually grew so much that the dwarf could not finish it completely. So while Mjolnir's head was finished the handle was not nearly as long as it was supposed to, and instead he just put a strap on it so that you could throw it and enchanted it to come
0: back. Yeah, that's really cool. And so, uh, you know, Ingrissel, uh, you know, um, in general... Belief in science, and you know even in, in religions, the idea of the center of the universe and how everything's connected and how we travel between different elements or places is very different. Is is it a physical tree? Or, tell, tell us about Igril and uh, maybe a
1: story around it. Igril is, as I said, it's known as the world tree, where different branches and levels of it holds where different creatures live. Um, the dwarves, some dwarves do live, did live on the earth, but others live in their own world, same as the elves and the giants and such. And they were little, I wasn't there to explain it as such, but basically supernatural squirrels who ran among the cr- branches of this uh, incredibly large tree carrying messages between realms for the gods to uh, pass onto each other. And uh, it was, as I understand believed that this tree was so great that we couldn't actually see it because it's too, uh, it's too large to perceive. Um, Midgard, or the Earth, as they knew it, uh, was thought to be a disc. Uh, sadly, still have people who think that, but yes. <laughs> uh, they believe that the Earth was a giant disc, which was uh, circled by a snake, and uh, uh, Jormungandr is the snake that circles the world. It is not the giant that destroys that, uh, Valhalla, apologies. But yes, uh, Jörmungandr is the snake that circles the earth, so that the ocean doesn't fall off the uh, run off the disk and leave us all dry. And then, as you went down, you had various other darker realms. Until way at the bottom, you had Helheim. Uh, that is where the modern Christian term "hell" comes from. It is not present in the old uh, Israelite religion. They called it Sheol or Sheol, which is different. Uh, Helheim was the home of hell. Or Hela was, uh, unlike in the movies, she was actually the daughter of Luke. Uh, she is known as being a beautiful woman on one side while the other half of her body is dead an undead sort of so sort of. and she rules over Halaheim much like Hades rules over Tartarus and the other underworld uh, areas and uh, eventually Loki himself gets chained as once again, and he's punished by being chained there while uh, the poison from his one child the snake's the fangs drip basically like acid to torture him for all eternity breaks free. Uh,
0: And uh, any favorite or particularly interesting or bizarre creatures that exist in this mythology? Off the top of my head the most interesting thing is
1: the fact that uh, dwarves in those uh, stories are not as we know them today. Uh, in fact, dwarves were very, very large. The word "dwarf" did not get associated with short people until much later. Um, another interesting creature there: the, uh, Odin's horse, uh, which is the child of loki it has eight legs and believe it or not uh, loki was the horse's mother not far that's something that they have correct in some of the shows loki was a uh, willing and able to change his appearance from male to female depending on what suited him and he had many children The hell is his daughter and uh, Fenderer and Sleipner, the wolves, are his t- uh, children as well. And uh, giant wolves, of course, I mean, it's Scandinavia. There's nothing as fearsome as a wolf. If you've ever seen photos of an actual wolf, you will understand why they were afraid of them. Uh, they really are apex predators. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, there are the giants. But not only are they the frost giants very
0: cold, uh, but they bring winter with them. Yeah, and we're sort of starting to get that feel again of like the natural elements. As you said, the titans in Greek mythology, the Norse have incorporated those in, in their own different way, right? Yes, uh, for example,
1: uh, Thor was known as the Thunderer. you he heard thunder, that was him throwing his hammer around, and the hammer smacking into things causing thunder, and sparks leaping up from where the hammer lands with lightning. Um, Storm winds and such, the realm of other gods. Freya was not uh, the goddess of a specific natural thing. Rather, she was the goddess of the home and marriage. And uh, interestingly, also magic and mathematics, because the Norse felt that mathematics was a form of magic, and that was the realm of women. Men weren't smart enough to do that sort of thing. They were supposed to be outworking.
0: Uh, let's go have a, a favorite god. T- tell us, what is yours? my favorite gods
1: as cliche as it is it would have to be Thor he just caught up some, some very interesting shit give us some examples of this uh, for example his hammer got stolen by some giants and he was not strong enough on his own to get it back as powerful as he is and the other gods said well you lost it you can go fetch it so Loki had the great idea well this giant king who has your hammer is a wife so they dressed Thor up in a dress with a wig and apparently despite the fact that he's a dude, he looked so appealing to this giant that the giant decided to marry him. And uh, after the wedding and much feasting and showing up the other guests, this uh, giant king's wife is drinking them under the table, He finally got his hands on the hammer in the treasure and then took off the dress and wig and uh, basically killed almost everyone there for daring to steal his And the least favorite god? least favorite god is a tricky one. But if I had to pick one, I would say it was Odin uh, because generally he does very little in the stories. Um, He's not supposedly in charge. But as I understand it, he's preparing for Ragnarok despite the fact that According to all the tales, he's not preparing to win it.
0: And so, share with us uh, your most enjoyable or, you know, interesting um, story with uh, a captivating narrative and, you know, engaging elements.
1: My favorite story involves uh, an adventure that Thor and Loki went on. Uh, They were traveling through the land. Thor, of course, has his chariot, uh, which is pulled by two giant goats. Uh, These aren't normal goats, of course, they're magic goats, because... Uh, they stopped at a farm to sleep and uh, they slaughtered the goats and they offered food and thought, told the farmer uh, do not uh, you can eat with us um, do what you will but when we're done tonight the bones must be placed back on the skin of the goats because they'll grow back overnight and uh, the farmer out of hand force of habit, Uh, without thinking, broke open one of the bones to eat the marrow out of it. And uh, the next morning, bones and skin grew back into the goats, because that's what they do. Every night you can eat them, and tomorrow morning they will be goats again. But the one goat had a limp, and Thor was furious how I told you not to break the bones. And uh, to prevent Thor from losing his temper and threatening their house or killing them, uh, the children of the farmer said, we'll go with you, Um, we'll be your servants so they went off and they're traveling and they came across this giant sleeping and uh, snoring to shake all the trees the size oh this is ridiculous none of us can get a good night's sleep with this great lummox of a giant snoring to shake the trees so he gets his hammer and he slams it down on the giant's head and the giant just opens his eyes and goes, did an acorn leaf will he fall on my head? And then he turns over and goes back to sleep and he keeps snoring and all ticked off because he's never had that poor a response from hitting something with his hammer. So he winds up, gets a nice swing on it and he slams it back down on the giant's head and the giant sits up and thinks, well, uh, what is it with these big acorns around here? And then he gets off and leaves, and uh, tells them that in the morning they should come to the hall of his king. They'll be sure to be welcome guests there. So he keeps uh, leaves, and they keep traveling. And uh, eventually, as they're about to leave, they find his bag that he left behind. So Thor tries to open the bag to see if there's any treasure inside. But despite him, no matter what he tries he could not uh, open the knot he loosened it a bit but only up to a point and then he could not get it to move so they leave their bag behind and they keep traveling and they come across this giant castle the king of the castle greets them and says welcome welcome Uh, you're all welcome guests here come in we can rest and relax and uh, maybe play some games or such and uh, Thor being the boastful guy that he says well let's have a drink then I bet I can drink anyone here under the table and the giant king brings out the horn and says well alright here's a horn of beer Uh, the best of us can drink it in one gulp or two Uh, but no one in this hall is so weak that they can need more than three gulps to empty the horn so Thor takes the horn and he takes a massive gulp and the beer goes down a little bit but that's it and Thor this no one drinks like he does takes it again and he starts gulping and gulping and drinking like he's never drunk before and while the beer has noticeably gone down the horn that was it Uh, it's not even th- uh, two thirds of the way down and uh, he's disgusted with himself loki said well all right uh, what's there to eat because no one out eats me i can eat for anyone and then they said all right well here's a competition for you you stand at that end of the table and my friend over here will stand at this end and then the two uh, one of you who reaches the middle of the table first wins right says loki and he Sets off and he starts eating He's devouring whole oxen And pigs and geese two Reams of fruit, they reached the middle at the exact same moment with one small thing. Loki was eating all the food while his opponent was eating the food, the plates, the cutlery, and the table. <laughs> and Very ravenous. Loki shocked the boy who was with them, healthy he says, uh, Well, all right, how about a foot race? We've all had a drink and something to eat. Let's work it off. I'm fast, no one's faster than me. Let's have a race. And they bring out another guest, they call him uh, Wanen or something they decided to race and they set off across the courtyard of this castle and uh, despite his best attempts by the time uh, health reaches the other end of the courtyard his opponent is already back at the start having finished and he says oh well that's a nice warm up let's have the race now this time he'll do it so he runs his best faster than he's ever run before the wind is blowing around him uh, from the speed um, you can barely you can't see his feet touch the ground and he's running and he reaches the other end but he's only halfway back when he's lost and his opponent is at the uh, start again and uh, eventually he thought says well this is ridiculous you got you must be cheating let's wrestle i will take anyone on and okay says the Giant, um, here, why don't you wrestle with my cat? Thor thinks he's insulting him. And says, your cat. Yes, just go ahead, pick up the cat. So Thor bends bends down and he grabs the cat. And he strains and he strains and his muscles bulge. And he starts shaking. And eventually... He only barely manages to pick up the cat before he has to drop it and let it down. And the cat walks off. And uh, the giant says, all right, I feel bad for you here. You can wrestle my grandma. This really, really (laughs) old, decrepit crone comes in. And Thor is insulted, but he's not going to back down from any challenge. And uh, to his shock, uh, he finds that he cannot beat this woman. He manages to almost pin her a few times and... He keeps her from pinning him, but he cannot win. And eventually the king says, well, that's enough. It's late. Let's all go to bed. Um, We can get up in the morning and continue with our reveries. So they go to sleep. Thor, Loki, and the others very unhappy. They did not manage to win a single challenge. And uh, the next morning they wake up and the castle is gone. And it's just giant standing there. And suddenly they realize, but this giant king is the same one they found off on the travels earlier. And uh, he says, well, this was all very fun and very entertaining, but I very politely ask you to bugger off and never ever come back. You're scaring the pants off. Because the first time that Thor tried to hit him with his hammer, he used his illusionary magic to dodge and make it look like Thor had hit his hammer when actually he had hit a mountain and formed a brand new pass in it that had not been there. And the second time Thor had tried to beat him with his hammer, Uh, He had dodged again, and where once was a great plain where he was laying, now there was a great square valley in Dale. And uh, the bag that he had left behind because he was so afraid of actually getting hit with that hammer, the strings may have looked normal, but they were made of actual iron. And the fact that Thor was able to loosen iron with his fingers was shocking. So they got him to the castle and decided, well, let's put him to the real test. They gave him the horn. And what Thor did not know was the horn was linked to the ocean. And they were shocked when the beer started going down because Thor was busy draining the actual sea. When Loki was having his eating competition, the person on the other hand was not a guest so much as it it was wildfire itself. So they were shocked that this man can eat as fast as a forest fire can burn. The boy ra- that ran his race, he did surprisingly well, considering he was running a race against Thought itself. And uh, at last, of course, Thor lost his temper, and he said uh, he was going to wrestle. And so they brought out the cat, but the cat was actually just an illusion. It was Jormungandr the wolf And they were starting to panic when Thor managed to pick her up, because they were afraid that what was left of the ocean that this guy hadn't drunk was going to spill off the edge of the earth with him picking up the snake and uh, so he put the snake down at least and they brought out old age itself and uh, that's when they finally decided we're never going to mess with Thor again this guy could not beat old age but neither could old age get
0: him down yes <laughs> cherry you know like a story with um, you know also uh, lessons also came as quite important through these stories and a way to convey them And so any instances where there was a good lesson that you thought was quite valuable I would say
1: off the top of my head, the best story I can think of with a lesson would be about underestimate someone or something that seems small or insignificant. Um, the tale goes that Balder, the god was so beloved by his mother that when he was born, she went all the plants and all the animals in all of existence and made them promise not to harm Baal. And the only plant that she did not make an oath from was mistletoe, because mistletoe was then still too young to make such an oath. And uh, the gods would then have fun, they would have competitions where they would throw spears or shoot arrows at Balder, And of course, the wooden spears and iron ups they all promised never to harm Balder, so they just bounced off him and Loki deciding well this guy's showing off a bit too much he goes and he carves himself an arrow from missile and shoots Balder dead and uh, from that spans a long story where uh, Hermod had to ride a wolf to help release Balder and set him free and uh, she told him that she would set Balder free if all the wolves would cry because he was dead and uh, although he didn't get everything. Everyone to cry, he did raise really such an uproar about the fact that beautiful Balder was dead that uh, Hell I eventually decided to have pity on him
0: and set him free. A story that is most shocking or bizarre, <laughs> these are easy to find in mythology. But to you, what would you say is a good one of that with some surprising or dramatic event?
1: Around Vanaheim, the home of the gods, there was a giant who was contracted to build this, and if he succeeded, uh, They uh, they would give him any goddess as his wife that he wanted. And of course, this guy had big dreams, so he built the wall. And uh, eventually, when it was time to claim his wife, um, he said, Right, I want that goddess. It was time for the wedding. Loki turned into her, and uh, the wedding was almost done. And as he was about to take his wife and leave, she suddenly turned back into Loki and they all just laughed at him and sent him off for daring to think he could marry a goddess.
0: Any last story in terms of the Norse mythology you'd like to share?
1: The one that comes to mind is less Norse and more Germanic, but there's an interesting parallel in that Atrix was known to be invulnerable because when he was a baby, his mother did not want him harmed. So she dipped him in the river Styx And the only place where he could be hurt was in his ankle, because that's where his mother held. And similar to that, you had the Germanic hero Sigfrid slayed the dragon Fafnir for his war. And uh, as the dragon lay dying, uh, Sigfrid dug a pit so that the dragon's blood would flow into that and he took a bath in that so that the dragon's blood coated and that left him impervious to weapons except for one small spot on his back uh, with his sh- near his shoulder where relief had stuck to him when he was taking his dragon's blood and of course, much like Achilles he was also shot with an arrow that had an exact spot
0: yeah, these impressive forces for the tiny little weakness, and that, that's where it all falls apart. Mythology often provides you know, insights into human nature and the world around us. And so, let's have a, a bit of a talk on the relevance of mythology in the modern world. Well,
1: the most relevant thing, of course, is that with the resurgence relatively recently of paganism and neo-paganism, there are once again people worship the gods and of old and make offerings to them and follow the right as they can Uh, I've come across one or two I'm friends with uh, one lady who's out offerings Uh, I've met another who was less nice you do get people in today's day and age who are going back to those old beliefs Um, in my opinion likely because many of the organized religions have gotten away from the faith part and they've just hang on to the organized part and that's left you with a large disillusioned people who aren't getting the established religion so they go back to the old ways and uh, try to hold on to that to find that sense of uh, wonder and awe that they were missing of course it's also very relevant in uh, entertainment today Um, we still have many movies video games and series and
0: books when you say some sort of religions go back to the old ways do you have sort of a good example of
1: this, this kind of transition. Uh, as I said, uh, you have pagans and new pagans these days again. They, you see men wearing the hammer of Thor on a necklace, uh, not just as a decoration piece, because they actually leave offerings and such, guides them. And as I mentioned, I have a friend renowned again for guidance and assistance they would take some fruit and yogurt and honey or such, or perhaps some milk and put it in a saucer and leave it outside for uh, whichever god or goddess or spirit they feel would uh, benefit most from it to help them.
0: Yeah, would you say uh, mythology such as these has had a positive effect on history? I think uh, by our
1: nature uh, they've had neither a net positive nor a negative effect. But rather, as with all other things with us humans, uh, you had those who held on to it as something good to be cherished, you had those who followed it out of fear, and then of course those who exploited it for their own ends, sweeping others up into a frenzy about some or other perceived threat or fear but that this or that group who isn't the same as us. Um, I feel that uh, mythology or religion uh, as such, uh, because it's important to remember that while it's mythology today, at the time they were telling those stories, it was very real to them. It was a proper faith and uh, today it's slowly becoming one again. It holds a very important place to some people while others are still today exploiting it. Much the same with the more established religions already.
0: If we look into the kind of moral and ethical teachings found in mythology, which ones have been quite prominent? I feel that many of the
1: more moral and ethical quandaries that the modern mind has with those uh, practices come to the fact that many of them had sacrifices, that many uh, Christian writings or Jewish writings warned about uh, other religions of the people nearby who might believe in sacrificing humans. And uh, indeed, while it was not common... It was the fact that Scandinavians and the Norse, uh, to sum them up in what also had practices of occasionally killing people. And uh, that, I feel, is not something that we should bring back in any way, just like I do not feel like major religions today um, has the right to ask anyone to end their life or someone else's life. But on the other end, many of the practices uh, of tolerance and such uh, serve a good purpose. Many people these days believe that there are certain roles for certain and others are incapable. Of fulfilling that, and then the uh, god of trickery himself, Loki, just turns into a uh, woman but keeps doing the manly things anyway. Or great strong Thor with his beard, just puts on a dress because he needs to get his hammer back and that's the only way he's gonna get it. And likewise, some people think, oh no, women are just stupid. And then you look what back then, uh, women were the heads of the house because they were the only people considered capable of running it. Us guys were too stupid. We were out in the field pushing the plow.
0: Yeah, interesting concepts of sort of gender roles and identities. In, uh academic fields how do you feel mythology has had a relevant part to play um, you know, one I might think of because of the, the Greeks would be uh, philosophy, because they were well known for that, or you know, even science, astronomy. I was wondering what sort of uh, tie-ins you can think of. Well,
1: the horse were known as inventors of the practices that we still use today. You make ships. Um, they were the first to keel on the ships sail so, uh, more effectively, and um, they were able to sail across oceans, which many other people at the time simply could not. Uh, the Egyptians just took massive bundles of reeds and tied them together with rope and there was a boat and no joinery or anything of the kind. Um, likewise, as you mentioned philosophy, schools of thought in general among the Greeks were very popular but they also observed the stars and uh, there's a very famous uh, device called Antikyra Mechanism which was discovered in a shipwreck of Greece. Um, it was literally a mechanical device with gears very similar to modern mechanical clocks and it was literally designed uh, celestial readings to determine when the right time was to form certain rites or rituals. And uh, it gives us a great insight that what many of us think are great modern inventions are a lot older than we actually know.
0: And um, you know, on this philosophy, why do you think it was so so prominent and developed so much in those times? Is it just to do with the trying to understand the unknown, or? Is their drive to conceptualize and create frameworks around logic? I don't
1: think it's that philosophy was that time than it is today. I simply think that focus a lot on the philosophy of the time because that was one of the first times they started writing these things down and started forming schools of the things that we still know of today. Um, a great many of the things that they had at the time are simply lost because... It wasn't written down. It's just everyone did it like that. No one saw the point in writing anything down. That people have always done it like this. Why would we start changing it now? It's no point. And likewise. Uh, It's important to remember that the Greek philosophers were not solely philosophers as you have them today. Um, They were what uh, we would call a polymath. Uh, You were not simply a philosopher. You studied philosophy, medicine, and mathematics, and whatever sciences were known at the time. Um, You weren't considered an educated person unless you knew
0: all of that instead of just one. Last sort of thoughts on the importance of understanding mythology. Like, why should an individual uh, take interest in this? At its most
1: basic level, it's very interesting. The stories themselves are entertaining. Um, Even if you don't learn a single thing from them, it's still very enjoyable to sit down and read read a tale transcribed from some old Norse stones or such. Uh, more than that, uh, we can draw parallels in those stories between some of them and ourselves. Uh, sometimes we can see it in others and uh, it might bring comfort at times to know that uh, whether or not you believe in the supernatural, the fact remains that even centuries and centuries ago, people were putting up with many
0: of the same things you have to today. Well, George, thanks for joining us today and unraveling the mysteries of mythologies.